1: My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast. At Mastermind Parenting, we're on a mission to support strong willed kids and the families that love them. Okay.
2: Hi. I'm so glad that you're here, Sean. I want to um, briefly introduce you, if that's okay. I'm going to read your bio. So I know it can be cringy. So just, just cover your ears. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. Sean Hondor is a more certified. <laughs> health psychologist, there we go, and health your <laughs> expert. She earned her doctorate from Jackson University in Philadelphia and completed her pre-doctoral internship and fellowship in health psychology at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. She's a top-rated podcast called Motivation Made Easy, Body Respect, True Health, where she outlines effective approaches to improve health and well-being by looking at how research and real-world experience collide via conversation and personal stories. She has unique training and experience. This is the good part, you guys. This is the part you care about. She has unique training and experience doing research in patient care in the fields of weight management and eating disorders at top-rated hospitals and universities around the country, including but not limited to Michigan State University, University of Chicago Eating Disorders Program, Drexel University, Penn Center for Eating and Weight Disorders and Rush University Medical Center. She lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan with her husband and two kids and pug named Teddy. Her dream vacation day is hiking along the lake surrounded by mountains, holding a warm cup of coffee, followed by a delicious dinner <laughs> and a soap and a hot tub with an ice cold ITA. <laughs> <laughs> Very descriptive, right? <laughs> Very descriptive. So what? Uh, Thanks for being here. I appreciate yeah, being here. Okay, so here's the backstory with why I invited Sean on the podcast. So Sean is currently a member in my Basics Boot Camp program. You saw you joined in the last coach week. You
3: how did you find us exactly? I I searched a podcast for parenting strong-willed kids. Parentology. Yeah, yeah podcast and i started listening not that long ago and then i did coach week and jumped in and i've been in the program for what nine-ish weeks and it's been great it's been yeah it's changing
2: well you've added so much to the group and you know it's so coach week for anybody that doesn't know is how i'm it's kind of like a mini program where it's free um Actually, last time it wasn't free, but this Yeah, I stayed a little bit for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which that's kind of, and the only reason you paid a little bit for it, honestly, was because I just felt like sometimes when people invest, then they're more likely uh-huh. to actually like invest their time and get more out for sure. So, um, this time we're not, we're doing it for free. Uh, it's coming up in October. I think October 10th is our next coach week. So we'll see. We'll see. But the bottom line is, is that, We have had the most amazing group that came out of that coach week, and you've brought so much to the group. Obviously, when you signed up, I didn't know about your expertise. And as the program unfolded, because most of the people taking part in the program, like 95% of people taking part in the program, are female, and many of us have a history with body image our relationships with our body and then we want to raise even healthier humans than we are I think that would probably be the goal or the dream for many of us would you agree with that
3: oh yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's right
2: (laughs) and so you know in a very respectful way you came forth and you let us know so I got a little bit of information and some knowledge like maybe um, (laughs) studied this for a (laughs) gazillion years and I (laughs) have a story. And so you've brought that expertise to the group and I think it's really impacted the group in such a big way. And I was like, okay, we need to have a podcast episode because the rest of the podcast listeners need to be able to benefit from what our current group is benefiting from in terms of your knowledge. So
3: yeah. 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 It's been it's been fun. And I'll add that I I left the healthcare like a standard healthcare job. I worked at I was always working in hospitals. It's been almost two years now, and I've been on this interesting journey where I'm like bringing my professional experience more and more into my personal world, and it's been really good. And I think this group is just one example of how whether or not people have like a diagnosed civil eating issue or concerns with their weight or their health this is like you've kind of alluded to it's all i have always thought of these these issues if you will on a continuum and i've done a lot of work to heal my relationship with food and i and now end up having these conversations in my personal life where i'm like "Ooh, even though they're not someone that maybe would seek out therapy they would greatly benefit from unpacking and realizing that the way we are trained the way we think about Eating and weight, there's a lot of flaws with it, which is what we're going to talk about today. So, well, and will you share, like,
2: I don't remember when it was, but you shared with the group why you ended up going into this field and how you were looking for the resources and just kind of like talk about even like where the gaps are and, and what you realized that would be helpful, I think.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think looking back now, I think I, had an inherent interest in this field partly to try to heal myself and I started studying like the psychology of eating behavior really early on I had some really great mentorship early on and it was more about genetics of eating disorders but then I went to grad school and my focus really since then it's been on helping people change their behavior and and it's interesting. I know we talked in the group about language and I, I use a very different language than I used to. So my dissertation and my grad school experiences was on like weight loss, kind of obesity treatment and prevention. I don't use the term obesity anymore because it's based on the BMI, which I know we'll probably talk, and talk about, but basically it's just a very poor measure of health. So I don't use those terms now because they're based on a term that's just not very helpful. But yeah, I essentially went through undergrad, grad school, many like grad school, five years and a two-year fellowship, like all these years of training. And mostly a lot of the work I was doing was weight loss trials. So people trying to lose weight with like calorie counting and like healthy kind of, I mean, I would say different than Weight Watchers, but like kind of just our standard, like non-surgical approaches to weight loss, like Restrict your calories, eat a little bit less, exercise a little bit more, and and really looking back, like I was st- stuck in my own cycle of like chronic dieting, binge eating. I've shared a little bit like it's at times I was I looked very disordered from the outside, no one would have known, <laughs> um, but like I was very disordered in my thinking. But I also had periods of relative like feeling pretty good with food, um, and so I felt so I've fallen on different phases of the continuum throughout my journey. Like you think of like someone who has an eating disorder as looking a certain way or acting a certain way. And that's just a a huge myth. (laughs) Um people can have eating disorders in all body sizes and they can eat all different ways when you're around them and they can talk about food in all different ways. So but yeah, I was I kind of I would say I like healed my own relationship with food. I forget, probably eight or ten years ago now, I've felt very free and grounded in in how I relate, how I trust my body for a number of years now. But I eventually I, I was a lot of my work in healthcare has been the last job I had, I worked in weight loss surgery, so bariatric surgery for part of the time, and I worked in prevention cardiology for the other part of the time. It was just really hard to do meaningful, effective Work within the healthcare system for a bunch of reasons. So, um, I've kind of gone off on my own. I have a podcast and I do um, practice one on one with people and helping them with, with this. And I do have an online program that's kind of shifting and evolving um, in terms of how I'm helping people in a more innovative way. But yeah, I just think there's, I would say, the main gaps are we are a very weight focused, weight centric culture. And that harms people at all body sizes because we're just basically told like smaller bodies are better socially, but also healthier. And that the health argument ends up being sort of a, it it sounds plausible, right? Like lose weight, feel better, get healthier. But it's it's really a flawed argument for a bunch of reasons and um, unhooking from that, accepting, diverse bodies are are like there's supposed to be a variety of body sizes body types and we spend so much energy, effort and money trying to control and we usually shrink our bodies or sometimes for you know more often for men trying to bulk up, right? but trying to like arbitrarily change our bodies in a way that it really doesn't serve our health. It doesn't work with our bodies and it works against it. it throws off all of our systems. so we're basically out of touch. And that causes tons of problems uh, down the road. So if you had to
2: boil it down to, let's say like one or two sentences, Mm -hmm. people who, which is a lot of us, all different shapes and sizes, having unhealthy relationships, you know, just not loving our bodies, wishing that our bodies were different than they are. And they go and they're like, okay, here's my problem. Let's say they, they're they super self-aware. It's a person, super self-aware. And it's a mom. I'm going to get more granular. It's a mom. And she knows that she doesn't have the healthiest relationship with her own body. She's constantly, like, she tries on a pair of pants. I remember this, like, for, like, I don't know, 10 years or something, I carried probably not a ton of weight, extra weight, but like maybe an extra 12 pounds more than I wished I weighed. So my body was 12 pounds bigger, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And the way I gain weight is it's kind of all over. So I looked fine. Like nobody ever would have looked at me and said, oh my God, she really needs to take a few pounds off or whatever, what happened? She really let it all go. Like I pull it off. And I was wasting so much bandwidth like when it came to getting dressed, even dressed for the day in things that looked like I kind of just like picked up stuff off my floor and threw it on. But I was still sometimes like trying on three pairs of pants or when it was time to actually go out, let's say for a Saturday night or to a special event, I had to get dressed. I would stress about it. I would try on multiple outfits. I would waste time. if we were going on a beach vacation or whatever i was like oh god like i have to try my bathing suits or god forbid i would have to go bathing suit shopping i was just wasting a lot of of my energy on this issue that i knew was superficial and i knew i wanted to be thinking about things that were more important than that but if i'm if i'm truly honest there was a ton of time and energy spent on this ridiculousness and I knew it was ridiculous but I didn't know how to change this pattern I didn't know how to feel better at that time in my body I didn't have the motivation to truly eat less and exercise more and I also Knew that I did not want to pass this pattern down to my kids, and specifically my daughter. So let's just say I'm so self-aware at that time, which I wasn't, that I was like, okay, I'm wasting way too much bandwidth on this on this superficial issue. I want to get this under control. I want to solve this problem, and I have to solve this problem if I don't want to pass it down to my daughter. And so I go to the traditional medical professionals and i say how can you help me solve this problem how do the traditional medical professionals aim
1: to help me solve this problem
3: yeah it's a great question usually they wouldn't do the work that i think you do so well and i try to do which is like digging deeper. The image I often use is like the, you know, that tip of the iceberg image. I've been really into that image lately where you see the top of the iceberg and that's the behavior, right? That's the, the I feed myself this, or I do this exercise, or I tell my kids this, the behaviors that are on the surface and more obvious. And I think the traditional medical professionals usually are focused on the behavior. They're focused on what is that person's weight? So, probably for you, they would be like, don't stress about it. It's fine. Like, your body's great. Like, they would probably tell you something like that. You'd be like, okay, that doesn't really help because I still feel really ashamed of how I'm feeling. And I, I already know that I shouldn't be stressed about this. So, then you probably just feel more ashamed, feel more bad, and you don't really have a solution, right? First is understanding that, like, the issue is that, I mean, bodies do change and morph over time but probably the biggest problem for you was just that internalized judgment and shame and trying to like fix it by logically telling yourself this doesn't make sense don't think this way you're gonna harm your daughter right and that doesn't help (laughs) that doesn't help anyone and i think so many people and and women especially get so caught up in like i should accept bodies in a diverse size but all of us are implicitly conditioned to believe that smaller bodies are better. And we're all like, they've done a lot of research on weight bias. And sometimes you'll get the term fat phobia because the, the word fat is sort of trying to be like reclaimed, And so people have different thoughts about that, those words, but essentially weight bias is just judging someone based on their body size. And the medical professionals usually were trained in that bottle. I know I was. And so they are coming to it not really understanding that. So they're going to treat you different probably than someone who comes in and says, I'm worried about passing my food issues down to my daughter and they are in a larger body size. They're probably going to be given different advice and probably more harmful advice. (laughs) Maybe accidentally saying, well, you could really work on to Pell's habits and then that would really help your daughter. That person's probably going to get more entrenched in their shame. Right? And most people they're in a larger body size they get different medical care they get different messages about what's their fault and basically they're told like weight's controllable and and what we know from research is that our weight is highly determined by our genetics and our biology yeah there's and most of us have some degree of control but not much it's really a much narrower degree of control and the problem is when we start to micromanage our body and not listen to its signals. That's what causes weight gain over time, and poor health outcomes. But we're not really taught to like work with our bodies. We're taught to ignore its signals or hey, this program you'll never feel hungry. Like, well, isn't that great? No, well, yeah, adaptive. the the thing I think it, that and tell me if
2: I'm wrong on this. It, the thing that our traditional medical model misses is that many of us. Learn early on that one of the fastest, easiest ways to feel immediately better in our body is to grab some type of food to either cure our, you know, to really quell—not to, quell, to cure—to quell our uh, the, the let's say like the negative feelings you're feeling in your body because you're bored. Right. Like I don't know what to do with myself. I'm gonna just mindlessly go to the pantry and grab something sugary or carby to quickly snack on. Or something upset me today. I had a hard day. And as we get older, a lot of times I think people also use other things, you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever, or online shopping or social media or whatever it is. But it's like one of the instant wings feel better and i remember like i remember binge eating when i was like, hiding and binge eating when i was like five like i remember binge eating when i was five and i remember like knowing that it needs to be a secret I didn't want my you know parents to find me and i mean i had some trauma happen when from the ages of four to five and i distinctly remember so As a little tiny child, I learned okay, I must have been having all kinds of feelings in my body from the trauma. I didn't have any adults helping me with that, helping me to understand that, helping me to find the right resources to help through my trauma. So, as a resourceful little teeny tiny human who was probably confused at how I could feel better because I just knew I felt terrible. I found sugary, junky, air quotes, food, <laughs> and um, and it made and I ate it, and I was like, "Yeah, it worked better," and right. I felt better, and I felt better. So, so there the conditioning began, right? There the conditioning yep. began, and and only through time have I found out I really was like. I wonder how I could have had a better relationship or I couldn't have been helped. And, and what I really came to was this whole thing that you just talked about with keeping our bodies small. And like I have a distinct memory of my mom. I was in like, I think third grade. And my mom came home from, she'd gone, her and my dad had gone out of town and she'd gone to an outlet mall or something. And she bought me two pairs of shorts. So I'm in third grade. So I'm probably like nine-ish. And she brought them home, and I tried them on. Because so I was considered a little chubby. Not like you know, I don't. I, if in this day and age, I don't think any doctor would have been saying my. Maybe a doctor in this day and age would have said my BMI was really high. But I was like a little bit. I was very inactive. I was a little chubby, and um, or I was considered a little chubby. And she comes home, and I'm third grade, and she either had a size twelve or fourteen she'd bought size she had probably because that's what they had the outlet mall slim so they were like maybe 14 slim or 12 slim and i tried them on i don't remember i couldn't get them to button for my belly and i remember her getting mad at me like damn it randy i can't return these i bought them at an outlet mall and it was out of town and i can't return these and i remember feeling so much shame and And that story I held on to for so long and I was really angry at my mom that like she took little third grade old me and and you know, she was just she was frustrated probably because she was like, damn it, I wasted money. She wanted to do something nice for me. She wanted to come home and bring and then, you know, that shame message was, you know, bestowed upon me. So I was really mad at her. But when I dug into it through the work that, you know, we do in the program the mind mastery piece, which is what's, what's really the story. I realized like my mom was always a very thin woman and that was part of her identity. And really she had an older brother who had been a a huge bully. And, and my mom, it was, my mom came from a family where there were four kids in five years, boy, girl, girl, girl. And my mom was the second girl. Her older sister and younger sister struggled with their weight. Her older sister, there was only enough money, evidently, to send the kids that had a reason to go to camp to camp. And her older sister got to go to fat fat camp, like back in those days, right? Mm -hmm. 1950s, they sent her to fat camps. The older brother, who was apparently a big bully, and he was a big boy. You know, so he went to fat camp and the immediate younger sister went to fat camp. My mom desperately wanted to go to camp. She was too thin. She didn't get to go to camp. So she was the skinny one in the family. Mm -hmm. And the older brother apparently bullied her older sister, who was only a year older than my mom, relentlessly. Her older sister was just teased and bullied relentlessly. You're so pretty. You could only lose the weight, blah, 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 blah. My mom, my theory, and I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong. My mom passed away last summer. She never talked about things from her past like this. She never verified it. But the theory I came up with is my mom being the thin one, flying under the radar, it protected her. And and so when she, damn it, Randy, you know, when she got mad at me, which i took as you know there's something wrong with me obviously i think it was actually my mom's protective part that really was like don't you understand what keeps us safe is being tiny i you need to be tinier yep and once i kind of like created that narrative which it may be true it may not be true but all i know is that when i created that narrative all of a sudden I released so much anger towards her. And it made sense that she she didn't mean to shame. She really ultimately just wanted to protect me.
3: Yeah, for sure. No, I think that's that. And that's where like sometimes parents definitely have fears about like their child's health or something. And they're really worried about how the, what they're eating will impact their health. But a lot of times it's like there is a social privilege associated with smaller bodies. There has been, there always has been, right? And like, you could say we're making a tiny bit of headway, right? You see like more diverse bodies, social media, TV shows, but realistically, it's we're still incredibly judgmental. And and we're, as you always talk about, like we're past animals, right? There's like this safety and being able to see other people that look and act like us and know like, I belong here, right? And if you're always looking at, and parents know that instinctively, they want to protect their kids. And so a lot of it comes from this internalized view that their life will be easier if they're in a smaller body, because it probably will be. Well, and you know, this is the
2: thing about where I feel like there has to be psychology included, because let's just say that that being my history, then I go to have a daughter And my daughter on the BMI index is at the end that is considered not acceptable or in the scary range. And, And let's just say that it doesn't happen to be the case. And I've always said, thank goodness that I had a daughter who had more of my husband's genes. And don't get me wrong. I still fucked it up plenty. Um, We talk about it all the time, but Mm -hmm. so she is my husband's gene. So that was never the case for her. But I've always said, thank goodness, because if I had a daughter who was built like me and was super inactive, like I was when I was a young child, who knows the damage I would have done to her Um, because I hadn't worked any of this stuff out yet. And so I almost feel like it's like God or the universe or whatever you believe in that protected me to heal this pattern by not having me have a daughter that had that issue um but let's just say i did have a daughter who was built exactly like me and we go in for her third grade you know well check, and the doctor's like yeah the emi is getting into the you know kind of scary range yeah Um, is that doctor gonna say tell me about your family history Tell me about your relationship with weight and the messages you got when you were a kid.
3: No, No. they don't have the time or the training. Right. They
2: don't have the time or the training. And so I kind of feel like it's like what I'm hoping that this conversation brings is we want to disrupt that. I feel like so many parents who are trying to solve problems and maybe the problem is. I don't have the best relationship with my body. I want my kids to have a better relationship with their bodies. We're going in for their well check and the doctor is telling me that their weight is in the unacceptable range. So now how do I solve this problem and make sure that my child doesn't have food and body issues and has a healthy, a truly healthy relationship and their body is exactly the size it's meant to be. How do I solve that problem? What do you think in a perfect world, just let's say we could just sprinkle some dust, and in a perfect world, that mom goes to the pediatrician for that well check, how would it be
0: handled?
3: Encouraging them to understand, first of all, to not give the feedback, maybe to talk about, have some discussions about health habits and see like maybe is that child, maybe they're on their perfect trajectory. Or maybe there is some things that we could tweak and improve. But so having that productive conversation, but ultimately looking at, you know, if it brings up fears for the mom and in most, for most women, like you said, like we have something going on there, right? Like even with me, I've healed a lot. I feel very healed up. And if that happened to me, I would, there would be some fears that would come up, right? So encouraging and normalizing, like, that for them to look at like what is the fear and then give them a resource <laughs> to go explore that right it really be like the best way to teach a healthy we got to prioritize the food relationship for your kid above and beyond what their body looks like above and beyond even their habits we have to help them understand how to respect and listen to their body above and above all else and so here's the tools to help you learn that first because you have to teach them and be their guide and can't do that if you don't know it and most women don't right like and and men too frankly like it's not just women it's just women with different pressures and and different messages and it's probably more common there's a more acceptable range of bodies for men there's like the dad bod right that's like celebrated but it's everyone and and i work more so with women now but i've worked historically a lot with men they have a lot of the same stuff and A lot of the same really unhelpful messages, which is like, don't listen to your body and suppress hunger and eat this healthy portion. And it's all external. It's all this like imposed what is good. (laughs) And and it's really inappropriate. Like the 1,200 calorie, 1,500 calorie limits that we were, that I was teaching that so many people thought is just so inappropriate. So
2: little. It's It's exactly what you said. I love the metaphor to the iceberg. It's just the tip of the iceberg, and I feel like yeah, I feel like a big portion of in, in a perfect world, if we could just like poof change some things, I would provide the you know someone the information from someone like you and a script for every pediatrician at every single one of the and, and for them to ditch this BMI stuff. And to really teach that it's all about listening to your body. Let's look at sleep. And for the pediatrician to say, I like to live by, you know, let's say like for me, like, you know, how I teach like the 80-20 rule. Like 80% of the time, like we're really aiming for food that is really going to fuel our body. And then 20% of the time, we kind of just, you know, have some fun and eat just because it tastes good. and. A bit like really arming the doctors and the medical community with the correct information and the correct resources to sort of have a more proactive approach before we have had a kid with an eating disorder and before we have a mother who has damaged her relationship with her daughter. And she's ultimately, like my mom, who really was such a kind, sweet woman who had accidentally sent the message that. You are safe in the world when you fly under the radar. So be smaller in your body. Don't be dramatic in your words. Like that really was what my mom did and kept her safe in many ways. And so she was sending that message to me, but ultimately it damaged her relationship with me because I saw her as unhelpful, you know, and then I was left alone to struggle with. The things that I'm struggling with when, you know, all any girl wants is to be close to her mom. And I think as moms, all most of us want, we want to be close to our kids. We want our kids, you know, we want to be their soft place to land. So when we go to a medical professional and they give us just tip of the iceberg type information that isn't even accurate or helpful ultimately it like
3: sabotages that whole dream of becoming their soft place to root to our relationships right right no and i love what you said it's like having that script i think that was the that that is something that like i'm very passionate about especially because i've spent so much time in the medical field is just like all the people that i work with they just want to help their patients right like they just want to help them get long-term results but they have to understand like they weren't equipped with those tools to feel effective and to like really connect with that person and help them feel seen and heard for what they're currently experiencing which is usually a lot of shame and to normalize like this is this is all very common very normal whatever you're feeling and to have yeah script for here's how you can work on this yourself and alongside your kiddo and here's how you can as you're working on it as you feel ready teach them what you're learning about how to listen to your body and how we tune in and just these um, skills that most of us were not taught. Well, you know,
2: as I've been planning and mapping out, researching and doing all the things I'm doing, writing the books that I'm writing right now with pediatrician, she met with a colleague who happens to be a child psychiatrist. And he was, you know, really on board with what we're writing because we really want to disrupt the current medical model in many ways. And our pediatricians with the writing commission, whatever. And he said, you know, the minute you start talking about parenting life, people come in and they have a child and the child's struggling. Do we need to medicate on what, you know, do we need to diagnose them with something? And he said, the minute you talk about parenting, he was like, they either get angry and defensive and you know you're never hearing from those people again or they don't act angry and defensive and you never hear from those people again. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's extremely taboo, he said. I mean, people are coming because they're worried about their kid and it's very difficult to tell a parent that this is more of an adult issue and, and to evaluate your own, you know, what's going on for you? How are you showing up as a parent? Like nobody wants to hear that or face it. And so, I, right. I just want to acknowledge that so that I want to help not just parents. I want to help these doctors that truly want to do right by their patients and, and are the, the good folks. Um, mm-hmm. I want to help them and make their life easier. So here's a script, and here's a way of saying. And it might be instead of like you need to go do your own work because kids are like truth barometers, and they know when you're being hypocritical and you're just trying to fix them without fixing yourself.
3: Like, right? Nope. <laughs> no, one's, <laughs> no one's gonna be ready for that.
2: <laughs> no one's ready to hear that, right? Like that's basically saying on a first date, like let's, let's just skip the kissing and can we just jump into bed? Like, <laughs> not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, But I feel like even if it was a script that was like, let's talk about as a family, you know, like these bodies that we're given—they're beautiful—and so as a family, how are you guys taking care of your bodies? And let's talk about how how you're sleeping, you know, what kind of sleep we're getting. Because look, I do think that that lots of people when walking around and lots of children walking around sleep deprived and chronically sleep deprived i mean i I always use that example of remember back when you were in you know when you've had those hungover days or maybe now when you have those hungover days and it's like who wants to drink green juice
3: and eat health food on those days like you want to grab something you know or don't? yeah lots of people yeah lots of people i work with that's rich that's they they have untreated sleep apnea and then they get that resolved my goodness, I feel so much better as opposed to the years of chronic dieting I've done. So, yeah. Well, I and mean, the one thing too, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but what I'll say about what you are saying with the talking with the pediatrician and one of the reasons I think you and other people that teach based on their experience, it reduces that shame. And like if the provider, the physician, the pediatrician is willing to own their own stuff with this a little bit and be like, you know, here's some of the things that I've realized that I did or how I was projecting my own eating and body stuff onto my kids. And I'm not saying that's happening necessarily, but I'm saying it's super common. And it's like normalizing that. Like, what? How powerful could that be? And again, they have to be willing to be vulnerable in that way and not assuming, right? But just being like, here's how it's applied to me and here's how it can, free up like honest, authentic conversations. Here's how you can learn to trust your body, feel good and your kids can. That could be really powerful too. So that was just something I am thinking as you were talking, like before you even get to, cause then the sleep conversation is even more powerful. And, and that's what I find in the work that I do with people a lot is when they come to me, they haven't ever heard that like, it's not their fault. They haven't heard that like weight isn't, Very controllable, and they've been told like just work harder, come on. And so, just reducing that shame and and having that connection piece first, and having, and again, I just think it's a powerful way if if the physician's ready to do that work themselves, or if they've done some of it and they want to share some of that to normalize it.
2: Right, like I, the the message always when we were growing up was all about willpower. You know, my family, my dad would talk about willpower, willpower. Because my brother has struggled with his wait for many, many years. And I feel like that what you just suggested, like if the pediatrician or the provider was able to lean into that vulnerability and share a little bit of a personal story just to kind of normalize things. You know, I feel like that is what would bring back that mentality of just because our world has become more complex and advanced and we have telehealth and all of these different like i feel like that would bring back that human element that so many people who became doctors you know became doctors because they actually care about people and so yeah. i like it would be it would bring back so much more of a human element but it also i think goes against doctor culture which right. is, you know the way they're I mean, thinking Right, right, you have to be the expert. Show no vulnerability. I mean, you know, I mean, as Sarah, who's writing the book, she's like, "We're not trained at behavioral strategies. We're trained to diagnose and treat actual illness." So, anytime mm-hmm. we share behavioral strategies, it's really just what we think personally. It's not our medical expertise, and yeah. and so I feel like it's like. We don't just go to doctors because we think they're good doctors. If a doctor has a terrible bedside manner, you're out of there, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's like doctors understanding like we want you to be human. We want you to to bring that element because it, it when you're able to normalize and connect with us, we're much more inclined to take your advice, right? Definitely, yeah.
1: Hey, podcast listeners, do you have the kid that just won't? We've all had those days, right? Haven't we? Where our kids just won't do anything we ask. They won't listen. They won't follow simple requests. They won't stop destructive behaviors. They won't let anything be easy. You have those days, but then you know, if you've got a kid where it's like every day is those days and as parents, it's tempting for us to jump straight to a consequence In fact, I think it's like a reflex. You want the behavior to stop, and it's so easy to go there first. In fact, you may believe it's your job as a parent to shut the problematic behavior down forcefully, right? An overwhelming majority of the parents I've coached over the years, they come to me wanting to know the consequence that will stop the defiance. Like, it's gonna be the magic solution, the magic bullet. But here's the secret. It's not really about the consequences, at least not until you've tried my proven method that stops this kind of behavior, the behavior that just won't, where they won't let anything be be easy in its tracks quite often before we even need to get to a consequence, because all behavior is communication. I know y'all have heard me talk about that on the podcast, and that's what we're going to dive deep into during my next live coach week. What's Coach Week? Coach Week is an intensive mini program that consists of three days of live coaching with me, and it's coming up the week of October 10th. And I really developed this mostly with you guys, my podcast listeners in mind, because you know me yet I don't know you and we did one of these coach weeks a few months back it was so much fun I got to know so many of you and I'm, we're doing it again so this time our theme is how to deal with the kid that just won't dot 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 won't make anything be easy right So when you come to our October session of Coach Week, we're going to find out the biggest mistake most parents are making that actually makes the problematic behavior worse. We're gonna investigate. I'm gonna be right there with you holding your hand. We're gonna investigate and find out what's really underneath your kid's behavior. We're going to work on building trust by using the tools and language that these strong-willed kids can actually hear so that they're able to improve their behavior. And you're gonna walk away from this intensive week with a clear plan and framework to deal with behavior challenges in the future. So don't miss out on this free training and get to kind of see for free what the inside of a mastermind parenting program really feels like. I'm so proud of our programs and I'm so excited to get to share this with you. So save your seat now by going to mastermindparenting.com forward slash October coach week, all lowercase, all one word mastermindparenting.com forward slash October coach week. I cannot wait to see you guys there.
3: Yeah. And even like, you know, I think some of the things I talk about is like shifting language and there's kind of a lot to like learn. Not a lot, but like there's things to learn there. If you are anyone, a physician or someone wanting to shift up your language, that could feel a little overwhelming. But the reality is that I have many people that go to doctors who don't get it all right. They don't perfectly use the perfect language and they'll use like, you know, whatever. I mean, the term morbid obesity is still in most charts like it's always there. but because they have that human element and they're real and authentic, that my my clients are like it, it works for me. And so you don't have to have all the perfect strategies immediately. It's just like parenting, right? Like you're not going to do it all right right away, but you're going to show up authentically, and be a human being. And and that's I mean, psychologists were trained not to share. That's why I was so nervous about sharing my story on my podcast. Not because I had shame about my story anymore, but I was like. People are going to think I'm not professional because we're trained to like be the experts and kind of sh- just share our expertise and and people just do at this point in my life. Most of the time they assume like I didn't struggle with this. I just for whatever reason got into it like no, that's not true at all. And so it's I think that reducing that shame piece and helping people feel seen and connected and, and not alone in their their pain is the for so many forms of change well i agree okay so
2: i want to dig into a real scenario that one of the members of our group shared she asked me and you to weigh in and i said we're going to address this on the podcast and i think that it's going to resonate with so many listeners because i think for so many of us we you know, we we use the language of wanting to teach them to have a really healthy relationship with their bodies, and you know, my language, we eat the food that helps us to grow, and so we have all this language, and it, we can mask. We think we're masking our true agenda with that language, but when control is on the scene, we start to try and hyper-control what our kids are consuming. I think it can be tricky. And I think that quite often we're in our own blind spots about it. And so I thought this would be a really good scenario to share. So let me, let me play her message. Hold on.
0: I know you guys kind of talked about a similar sim- scenario with um, another family recently, and I did listen to that. But um, I just would like some input on the specific situation that happened too. Um, so yesterday, um, I had to pop out to the grocery store very briefly, and neither of the kids wanted to come with me. And we've, you know, reached the point where I feel like it's, you know, safe to leave them for a very short periods of time. Um, I'm not worried about them harming each other or, you know, getting into things that would be, be concerned for concerning for safety um so I I left them and then I came back maybe like 30 minutes later and um started talking to Julian and saw that he had this like very strange looking bulge in his pocket and I asked him what's in your pocket and he came clean very quickly Oreos (laughs) he had shoved Oreos in his pocket so I asked him to give them to me and gave them to me and um I didn't say anything, but like clearly was like annoyed that he had snuck the Oreos. Oh, this is also important to mention. When I left the house, I specifically told him, please let me know if you're going to eat something. You know, if you're hungry, that's fine. Just let me know. Like, I don't want you to have junk food, but if you want something, just let me know what it is and I'll
1: say if it's okay or not. Okay. I think we can stop there. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Okay. I want to hear your take on that situation
3: yeah so first of all i think one of the things that i mean i know she had shared later on that one of the things she was most concerned about was like the deception and the lying but first of all when there's any like restriction of food it's very very normal for there to be like some sneaking and inadvertently we actually give this message that like oreos are bad. Even though you've never said that, right? I, I doubt she's ever been like Oreos are bad. No, they're not bad. They just we need to learn to have a healthy amount. We think we're teaching that healthy portion control. But first of all, it's actually incredibly adaptive when kids' brains, when they're given access to more, they eat more. Because guess what? That kid would have survived in the wild. Because when food was available, they they ate more, they stored it up and then high calorie foods help us to like survive. So that's a super adaptive primitive desire of our brain and and in our culture it's very easy to have shame wrapped up in that so he's learned like this isn't good and i need to to hide it versus just like no there's more available right and so there's the there's the restrictive piece but then there's also the what it means about me piece and they're they're related so one of the main things that we want to do is disrupt that pattern and help and the person doing the binge eating, which again, I did binge eating for many years. Um, no, like that's just your brain, like trying to keep you alive. That's just literally your survival mechanism. And and that's why talk, what I talk about um, in terms of feeding kiddos, it's the division of responsibilities. The Ellen Satter Institute is what came up with this, but uh, parents determine timing and type of food and kids determine amount because you want to as much as possible reduce that feeling of restriction and control because most of the time that's just gonna have them eating those things more than their bodies necessarily need because they're like, there might be a famine in the future, which really the famine is just that self-imposed restriction. From the parents for it for adults it happens. They are like, I'm gonna probably impose a diet on myself in the future. So I'm gonna get it while I can. So that's the big piece that Uh, often goes missed. That's what went missed for me for years. I was like, I'm not dieting. I'm not restrictive, but it's, it can be really subtle. It can be obvious or it can be really subtle and it probably falls on the continuum. But if there's a feeling of restriction, our, our brains rebel and we, and it's about the food, but it's not, Mm. if that makes sense. Okay. So, so what do you think
2: that I mean i have my thoughts about this whole and she really got there as she continued on with her messages which mm-hmm. is you know he's nine years old and she has also a history of. there was you know a sister that struggled there was some disordered eating the whole family was revolving around it when she was growing up she doesn't have necessarily you know dialed in in terms of her relationship with food and her body she also still struggles with the whole restricted eating thing yeah portion control mm-hmm. right so she knows that she struggles with that herself mm-hmm. that whole call me if you want to eat something
3: mm-hmm. yeah right. i mean it's yeah it's it, and actually like what I talk about is like autonomous motivation as the ideal type, controlled motivation as the non-ideal type. So we can think of an internal motivation, external motivation as that's helpful, but yeah, it's controlled. It's uh, I'm, this is what I'm allowed and this is what I'm not allowed. There's these external rules associated and it reduces that intrinsic ability to eat the portion that's, feels best for our body and it's just not a long-term strategy because otherwise I mean then the the kid will feel like they have to control themselves the rest of their life versus trusting their body's signals so okay so
2: so this is where y'all for anyone that is like what do you mean by control we think it's like you know well just call me if you want to eat anything you know like I'm just being like a tuned in mom and making sure my kids don't ruin dinner and, you know, we're going to give them a really healthy, well-balanced meal and that. So just give me a call if you're going to eat anything. So I'm just putting some boundaries and parameters around that. And I think that it's hard sometimes to see that it's very controlling to tell your nine-year-old, Hey, if you want to eat something, I, I trust you. To know what to do if an emergency arises while I'm at the store and you can, can I I, I trust that you can handle that, that you could call 911. I trust that you could like handle yourself in an emergent situation, but I'm not trusting you to figure out what your body's hungry for and to eat that, (laughs) right? Right? Yeah. There's a lot of control on the scene there.
3: And, um, and I think it's confusing for kids, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and, and for most kids, it starts way earlier than nine. It just might look different at nine. Right. And because way earlier, in our kids lives were saying like, eat this, make sure you have two bites of this. That's what I was told. I think it's why I don't like meat. Like you have to at least eat three bites of your meat, like versus just here if meat is available and you can you can decide if you want to eat it or not. So it's so early on, we give that message, like your body doesn't know. So here, let me portion this out and I'm going to put the rest away. And it just gives that message. So yeah, at nine, it looks like this. At other ages, it just looks like, uh, or a lot of times deal here too, like, good job for eating. Oh, look at you. You had a second portion. You're such a good eater. I hear that all the time about my kids. And I'm like, yeah, they're good eaters because I don't over control. And <laughs> so like, quit making comments about it. Mm-hmm. But they eat a variety. Of, I mean, they may just, who knows? Like they may just also, some kids are just pickier eaters and that's not like because there was over control per se, but I don't know. I am an adult expert versus the kid. So I, I won't make too many comments about that. But yeah, like it's so common for us to get so controlling so early on and, and yeah. And then at nine, you're starting to see like, he's home alone. So how is that going to really work? And when they're a teenager, it definitely won't work, right? Or when they're on their own. Well, what do you think, though, about the
2: whole, like, how it's primal for us that mm-hmm. when it's something high fat or whatever, that that we're going to want to eat a ton of it to, mm-hmm. you know, store it. So so tell me, like, what is what is the science behind how we end up, you know, only eating? two or three Oreos, even though there's a whole, if we're giving, you know, if we give our, let's just say we give our kids, you know, she didn't put any of those parameters around it. She's got the Oreos in the house and, Mm -hmm. you know, she, she lets them, you know, they've been taught the messages that, that, you know, the Oreos are the 20% that is the food that just tastes good. And 80% of the time we're going to check in with our bodies and see if we're actually hungry and we're going to feed our bodies the food that feels like fuel. And then if we want to have some little food that just tastes good, I don't know how you feel about that messaging.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that messaging, I used to think of it that way too. I don't really now, I mean, although I think generally that's kind of what I do in our family, I just don't categorize it. And as we had talked about in our thread, like I don't, I, I lean away from categorizing like foods in any way because it's just so easy for that our brains to think of that as good and bad and to turn into shame and just again arbitrarily make us want the food more oreos are already primarily something we're going to want like they know what they're doing when they design oreos and there are addictive qualities to food and that's where this this field is i think really fascinating because there's different schools of thought and there's a lot of like contention about like Food addiction being a real thing, and it's really a big concern, and we really need to address it along with the obesity epidemic. The way I think of it is, our our environment has greatly changed. There's a lot of highly palatable foods, and we're a lot less active. And there's a there's that would be a huge reason why, like we we as humans would have probably gained weight even if we didn't have the dieting like misfire with the signals that chronic dieting causes probably all of us as a population would still be gaining weight, but dieting further amplifies that by further creating mistrust with our bodies. And so, you know, it's, I'm trying to remember your initial question, but it is complicated. And I think it comes down to the the mom or the parents, like learning to trust their own bodies and learning to trust their own decisions around food and then teaching that trust because yeah, Oreos, when you really remove judgment from your eating, you, most of us will stop at like a lower amount of Oreos, but it might not be the serving size of two, right? Some days we might not want any Oreos. Other days we're like, I really want a bunch of Oreos. Maybe we still, you talk a lot about natural consequences. That's what, like, whether we call it intuitive eating or mindful eating, that's what, for me, I finally like healed my relationship with food because I, let myself without judgment eat and just really notice like oh this is the fortune that helps me feel good but guess what we're humans we always overshoot so we're always still gonna eat a little bit more than we intended to but when we make it this big deal and this huge thing about our willpower and ourselves and we have so much shame attached to it it's just like you always said we can't learn in that environment we don't actually learn to be like oh I felt kind of crappy when I ate six Oreos today. Good to know. I will say I think some people's genetics are more prone to having a harder time with that than others, right? Like I think some of us like food more than other people. I used to be really convinced that I was one of those people that just like loved food. Um, But I don't know if that's true now. Now that I've removed all the judgment from it, I'm like, I like food a lot. I, I eat ice cream and all the cake and all the good things. But it really, it's. I think it's interesting. The more we remove that judgment, I think of it as you're a Harry Potter fan. The like the little memories they like pulled out of the side of their temple, that like little silvery memory, like the memory thing, and then they put it in the they watch it and then I forget what it, that thing was called, a pensive, I think. But just like removing that judgment, I, I I still have a lot of judgments about other things, but for food stuff, I'm mostly like mm, just food. So that's where I, and like language-wise, I, I don't use a lot of, I just describe, as we've talked about in the thread, I describe this so what it is, cake, cookies, Oreos. You know, the, the, the processed foods are very like addictive to our brains for kids. Like I wouldn't give rearranged accents necessarily, but that's something that I I told you guys in the thread. I My kids are two and five, so like I haven't really had to think a ton about it because I have a lot of control over what all of them, they go to school, they go to daycare, and now my daughter started kindergarten. It's funny, they have a, a fun lunch, which is like Lucky Charms, like Trix yogurt, and like a cheese stick, and like she loves this fun lunch. I'm like, could we maybe get the one with like a little bit of broccoli, like the actual food, please? But it's tough, and so I'm having a little bit of a dip into less control. But ultimately, like I don't stress a ton about it because at home for us, we we don't bring like a ton of dessert type foods in. But but we do. I don't know. And again, it's just questioning. Like I think mean, so much of it is about the unlearning the messages that are, the harmful messages about controlling bodies and not trusting bodies. It becomes a little bit more obvious over time. But we just have so much judgment around like, and some people have Oreos all day every day and their kids don't struggle with it I would look at like if I were any mom looking at this I would just like observe my kids behavior and how they're responding to the food and I know you had said like let's take a break from it let's get it out of the house for now I think that's fine as long as the kids don't perceive that as super restrictive and it just makes them want it more and I think that would probably depend on the kid you know what I mean like I think some kids would and they'd be on to (laughs) you and they know like I know what you're trying to do you think I'm too big And you're trying to fix me Mm. like they're not going to like that's going to feel really bad to them. So, I mean, I might like change up what you have in terms of like the different like just trying different sweet foods. And but I don't know, that's that was something that like as we're going through the thread, I'm like, I'm not exactly sure how I would respond to that. But I would really I'm just not that convinced our overreaction to having a few extra Oreos, I think it can be a really good, healthy, natural consequence to be like, oh, dang, I ate too much. Like my daughter at five has had that often. And we're like, oh, yeah, I had a little too much cake, huh? Like makes your stomach hurt. And I'm like, yeah, it's the worst. I've done that too. You know, you're like, oh, what do you think would help you feel better? You want to just, you know, want to rest or want to lay down or you want to have some water? Like, what do you think would help? And teaching that, that kindness, right? And it's like normalization of like, yeah, of course you had a little bit too much of that because cake's delicious. And it's mm-hmm. like, we all eat too much cake sometimes because it's super good. And and normalizing that and, and having that experience, I think is way more important than how often they have cake, right? Okay. I think that 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 is it.
2: You know, I would have to say, I think when we go into control, being onto ourselves and just like asking yourself the question of what was really coming up for me there. Right. Mm -hmm. What was really coming up and digging into that. But I also want to say that it's interesting. I've, I've made mistakes with my daughter because it was more unloaded with my daughter because of the whole, I think probably generational pattern Uh hey, if you're a small woman, you know, who's considered attractive in our culture by having a small body, if you fly under the radar, that is what will keep you safe. And so that generational pattern, which I didn't even realize, you know, that was what was going on. That's what caused me to be more invested in what my daughter consumed. Because neither my daughter nor my sons, they all you know, especially when they were little, they all had similar body sizes. So why would she have gotten this message? And my boys did not get that message because it wasn't as loaded for me. And, and, and so exactly what you're saying, Like I, re- I can distinctly remember my boys, like, and Corey doing this more than anyone, understanding that like when him and his friends, when he got to be like a teenager or any teenager before he drove, but they would like ride their bikes. There's a donut shop that they all love. It's not too far. It's in our neighborhood and they could ride their bikes there. So a lot of times they'd have sleepovers on the weekends and then they would ride their bikes to Shipley's. Right. And I remember him saying to me like, Oh, I feel so gross. Like just, we got up, we went to Shipley's. We had, You know, or when I when he eats the kalachis or the dough, whatever it is, he's like it just makes me feel so
1: gross.
2: And it's interesting because when they were little, and they would have donuts, we would on the weekend or whatever. I noticed that, and so I made a rule that on days that it was really Scott that wanted to take him to get donuts, on days that Scott wanted to take him to get donuts, I was like you got to make them eggs or something first. Like they have to have some kind of protein. Like they would have like eggs and fruit and then they would go and get donuts. And that was just a way to offset the blood sugar. And so I was never saying like, you could only have one donut or you can only have like, I didn't care, you know, whatever. I didn't care how many donuts they had as long as they had eaten the eggs and fruit first to offset it. And so I think with the boys, where Avery, she... You know, I'll say like she's super lactose intolerant and she loves queso so much. And so like or ice cream, whatever. And so we'll be like at a Mexican food restaurant and she's like, oh my god, we've gotta get queso. I'm like, because I know what it's gonna turn into and I won't TMI here, but you know, Mm -hmm. I know it's gonna be bad. And so and I'm like, really? She's like, I'm taking the hit. I'm just taking the hit. You're Mm -hmm. like, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you're taking the hit the boys are much less inclined to take the hit if they know it's going to make their bodies feel yuck later mm-hmm. they're like they are they're like no thanks like, like it's yeah. amazing to see that and 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 here these three children were raised in this same household with my same you know unresolved issues and the way i do things and not and categorizing food as the food that makes you grow and the food that just tastes good or the junky food. Like I made all those mistakes and until really you brought my attention to it recently, I totally called it junky food. Um, I categorized it. And so I made all the same mistakes. And yet, because I was less invested with the boys, they're, they've got healthier relationships with it all.
3: Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's also whether or not you gave those messages or not, the Avery still had to go into the world being a girl. And <laughs> so like, just like inherent things that she got outside of the home that yes, didn't undo, right? Like, and I think that's so much, like even you could do it perfectly and they still get those messages and women are more likely to get it then. Cause there's like a less, there's a smaller window of appropriateness for body size for women. So like a few extra, donuts like it's easier for your brain or their brain to then interpret that as bad versus like I think, yeah so it's not always the case but I think that's just the reality of our world still and I think it's diet culture has gotten more like subtle it's I just think it's more subtle now but it's still alive and kicking very much and and all the judgment is still really there but it hides behind health disguises and it's like hey if it's really truly about health like awesome but like a lot of times it's not and, and that's when we just don't even realize it right we're just like I'm trying to that's what I thought for years I was like I'm just trying to eat to feel good and it's like no no I wasn't <laughs> I thought I was but I wasn't I was doing the, the things that it was just all all really the ultimate goal is still shrink my body that was what I hoped for and um, once I finally let go of like, my weight is gonna be what it is. like, and I just relinquished control of that, I'm not saying it's always easy. Like I went through this healing, and then I had my kids, so obviously, your body changes a lot during those time periods. But for the most part, I was like, it is what it is. Like my body weight is gonna do what it's gonna do, and it was very freeing to just be like, "How can I take care of myself?" Um And a lot of it's like emotionally, or like for a long time, I like, I always had a pretty healthy relationship with exercise, but I used to love running. And I'm just now my son's two and a half getting back into that. And, um, realizing like, it's just, I'll worry about it. Like it just not stressing about like, I'm not exercising enough or I I walked once this week. Okay. I mean, I, I'm back to more now, but, um, Again, not stressing about the details is very freeing, um, and just trusting our bodies that it, our bodies do know what we need if we listen. So, in a nutshell, the bottom line is, is that we've
2: we're not bullshitting anyone.
3: <laughs> like we have right. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Like we
2: yeah. have to like face using the whole like oh, I just want them to be healthy, or I just want to be healthy. Just stop, yeah. Just stop. Yeah, You know, you've got to And I think every woman wants to feel good in her body, wants to hold her shoulders back and feel proud of the way she feels and looks and walks out to the Mm -hmm. world. And so at the end of the day, we all deserve to heal from this. And this is truly the way that we don't pass the patterns down or at least, you know, like what I said to Avery, because we talk about all this stuff all the time now she's 20, she just turned 21. And I said, look, all we can hope for is that you do it better than I did. Like I feel like I did it a little bit better than my mom did. and
0: mm-hmm.
2: And hopefully you'll do it even better than I did and we'll break this generational pattern. I think that's the best that we can hope for. And the more we mm-hmm. talk about this stuff and talk about, where I royally screwed it up and you also you know continue going to an amazing therapist and working through these things and we keep talking about it and you keep hearing that's the outcome that I think would be you know all we can really really want and frankly the more we talk about it the more it's amazing the more shame seems to dissipate and uh, i mean it's just like unbelievable how like Brene brown says when shame can only survive with secrecy and so when we start talking about these things we realize it's not so taboo and we don't have to be perfect and we get to be human and it's messy business being a human you know avery will say it to me because i've taught her my body my biz like it's my business you know it's not your business mom so like when i accidentally make a comment or a comment about someone else, which I'm a little bit sneaky about this. Like, I'll be like, oh, he looks different or she looks different than she used to. She's like, I don't know how that would be relevant. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> she your body your calls <laughs> you out. I love it. Calls me out. That's awesome. You know, it's like nobody's bullshitting anyone. Like, just deal with your yeah. own stuff, And you deserve to have a healthier relationship with your body, especially... If you want your kids to have a healthier relationship with their bodies than you have with your body, like you got to do the work.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I'll mention is there is a lot of shame, even in because like there's more movement towards like body positivity and more movement towards awareness and inclusivity, which is good, of course. And a lot of people have a lot of shame, but I still really want to lose weight, right? Like, and it's like, of course you do right? Like we live in a culture where you are going to be told over and over, if you lose weight, things will be better. Life will be easier. You'll be more confident. And that may or may not be true depending on just a lot of factors. But like, I think there's so much shame even in having that thought. It's like, I should just love my body. I should just accept my body. And it's like, there's a lot of, I think a lot of the work that I do it's like this non-diet approach of like just learning to relinquish control over the the weight piece, there's a lot of grief there because there's a lot of hope that people are sold. Like if I can just figure it out, I'll get my body to this size and then I will like feel amazing. And the good news is you can feel amazing without that. But the bad news is this dream that you think it's supposed to look like might look different. And in that I just wanted to mention that because I think for a lot of people that's a hesitancy to doing the work. Not only they feel shame about their thinking about it, but also there's just like grief there. And and that's a lot of people that I work with, I would say, I mean it depends, but I I tend to, I think it's my experience with like weight loss surgery, they're in a larger body size and they're just like, This sucks. Like I'm glad you're telling me this, but like I'm kind of pissed at you. (laughs) Like and like they're grateful because they're like, I can actually trust my body and know it's okay today. And it's really empowering. But um, there's a grief there too. And so I think normalizing that desire for weight loss is normal. And I'll have uh, conversations with people. Here's what we know about weight loss med, weight loss surgery, behavioral approaches. Here's what the data show and then empowering them. Like what feels best for you? Because often we make assumptions about like what's right for people. And it's like, I don't know, I'm not in your body. Maybe you know the data about weight loss diets and how ineffective they are and you still want to do it. That's allowed. And so I don't know if that was just something I wanted to mention because I think that that's something that people get really caught up in because of the shame.
2: Yeah, you made my brain go to a place of that. When you say grief, I'm like, yeah, that's where I think you know, when, when somebody's like, oh, I need to, if they make a New Year's resolution. Like, I'm going to lose the weight, right? I want to feel better at my body. And they think maybe they're going to hire a nutritionist, a personal trainer. Are those people ever putting a psychologist on their care regimen? Because, that's yes. really. <laughs> right. And, and and the Greek part, like, mm-hmm. like how having somebody, Walk you through, like, what if that was step number one was knowing that you are worthy of hiring someone, finding the right resource to walk you through the grieving process of I hated my body for many decades and that has felt terrible. And I want somebody who is a trained expert. To know how to hold space, know how to walk me through my grief, know how to hold my hand and help me through this time, and maybe I decide to start eating differently or exercising differently or moving my body differently. But that piece seems like such a a a self compassionate piece that most people miss.
3: Oh yeah, that's that's the underneath the iceberg, right? Like that is the hidden piece, and then they just a new plan keto, intermittent fasting, all these like I'm I'm really into plant-based eating, but like if you do plant-based eating from the wrong place, it's not gonna serve you. And yeah, so just being on to yourself as you often say, and like, yeah, if you don't address that root cause, and for most of us that's there's some deep grief and pain and hurt there about either what you've done to your body or what you thought about your body or things you projected on other people. And for a lot of people I work with they're really mad that they didn't know this sooner in their life because they look back at these pictures of themselves and they're like, my body was great, but I hated it. And chronic dieting tends to increase our weight over time. And sometimes your weight won't go back down for a variety of reasons. And they're just like, why did anyone tell me this? like there's anger there. And I think it's justified. Mm -hmm. I understand it. And I also feel like
2: I'm like, gosh, we all deserve to feel amazing and to look in the mirror and love the way we look. I think that's the other piece I love that you brought up was also feeling ashamed. like, oh, I know all this information, right? I'm so conscious and progressive. I should be above I should be above all this superficiality. but yes. really, I want to look in the mirror and love the way I look. It helps me to to feel confident when I walk out in the world.
3: Like, right? That's okay too. Right, right, absolutely. And it's hard. If biologically, genetically, your body is in a larger body size, or you've been chronic dieting, and it's set point, biological set points is basically like the weight our bodies like genetically like to maintain. That can get pushed up over time with all the dieting. And I don't think we know really very well I haven't seen good data like can we get that back down I think it's an open question but um like it's harder like now some women that I've worked with like been decades of dieting and so now your body is what your body is and learning to love that now is totally doable totally possible and it can bring up a lot
2: well and I think you know I do love how the younger generation there I mean Avery and I were just talking about this we watched the Jennifer Lopez Documentary. It's so good. And it really talked about how Jennifer Lopez, you know, she was pre Kardashian. She was like, I'm a Latina woman. I have curves. And I, uh, they wanted her to get a nose job. They wanted her to lose weight. They wanted, and it was before it was celebrated for women being muscular and strong and having a tush and all the things. You know, it was like the era of Kate Moss. And she, was confident she was like and you see her on early interviews and she's like i'm a latino woman if she was like oh my gosh I should looked just like kate Moss. she wouldn't have shown up in the world in her whole jennifer lopez way but she was like this is me i'm freaking awesome i'm yeah. hot i'm curvy i'm hot i'm awesome and then all of a sudden she's a role model for the younger women and i'm like it's the same thing when i see a woman whatever size she is, if she's walking through the world where she has, you can tell she feels good about how, you know, whatever size she is, she took time and she cares about how she looks. She's got her shoulders back and she's wearing some kind of an outfit that you can tell she feels like a million bucks in. It's like, okay, your size, whatever, 14 or your size four you really can present with the same level of confidence based on how you're thinking about it.
3: Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, one of my main mission is getting more people out of the ineffective diet cycle so they can show up with more courage and authentic connection. Because so often we don't show up in the world the way that we were meant to or called to. And we just live small. And we was like, if I can just fix this thing first, then I'll go date or then I'll pursue the career I want. And it, um it's it keeps a lot of people not not speaking or living their authentic lives or their truth. And it's they they, they don't share their gifts like Jennifer Lopez. She wouldn't have maybe shared her gifts with the world. And there's just so many so many people don't benefit from that. You know, so many people are deprived of that person's unique gifts. And so yeah, we need a lot more <laughs> courage and authentic connection in a lot of spaces. So well, thank you. This has been such a good conversation. Do you
2: have any final thoughts or 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 asks or anything that you would like to leave with the listeners?
3: Well, I'll just say we. I just started up my podcast again. We did a hiatus so the summer, so I needed to slow down myself. Uh, but motivation made easy, body respect your health. We're coming out with episodes, and I feel really excited about the episodes we have coming up this this fall. And then, yeah, my. Website drseanhandorf dot is a great place to find me, and I'm not big at social media. But connect with me, like if you I love these topics. I love if, if people have questions, or um, I'm still working on some innovative ways to work with people. I might have some workshops coming up in the fall, so make sure you get on my email list um, so you can be aware of that. And uh, yeah, I'd love to to connect and help more people feel feel good in their bodies and regain that trust. And the thing I'll say about Sean, you guys is, you know, I think a lot of
2: times people go into the helping professions, whether you're in the mainstream traditional, you know, if you work in that way, which is like going in and becoming a doctor or psychologist or a therapist, or you become a coach or, uh, or some other, a shaman, healer, whatever it is. Anybody who goes into the healing professions, I think quite often people go in for personal reasons and sometimes it can even serve as a deflection from doing their own work. And I think this is not something that many people are even aware of or thinking of. And so I'm really, really, really particular about the professionals that I uh, endorse and that I recommend and refer to, you. and what I'll say about Sean is, is you do your own work. And so like even coaching you as a mom within the program, you really are digging in and showing up authentically in your personal life. And it just makes me trust you professionally all the more. So.
3: Well, thank you. And I mean, I'm super, again, if we look at my, my iceberg analogy, like the middle of the iceberg i think i've done a really good job prior to coming to you at like the diet mentality like trusting my body stuff like i felt pretty solid in that and that's just how i think of it for health behaviors but like that deeper part of the iceberg has nothing to do with food and that's what i'm working on parenting is that like opportunity to unlock that new level and it's been um great and i think anyone can like i mean you don't necessarily have to do one or the other like that's not the iceberg analogy that i think of but like just doing that deeper healing work is so worth it i'm super super grateful for the opportunity as as you know to work with you because it's been it's been awesome and uh i've done a lot of work on myself before but i've unlocked new levels of the sean video game lately so it's been good
2: <laughs> so awesome
3: okay thanks
2: for being here i appreciate thank
3: it. you
1: Thanks for listening today, guys. I hope you picked up some tips, tools, maybe some baby steps for creating more balance and boundaries in your life. And I just wanted to let you know, if you want to continue moving the needle forward in creating this for yourself, having a happier household, I want you to go to my website and check out mastermindparenting.com. We have three beginning programs, and if you need some accountability and more support, then please look for the one that would be a good fit for you Um, and as always we're on all the social channels under mastermind parenting on instagram it's mastermind underscore parenting and you know periodically i do pop up on different instagram lives facebook lives where i give you teaching and coaching and i love engaging with you live to help you help your strong-willed kids so that they can feel better because when they feel better, they do better. And um, I love, love, love getting to know you guys. So thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Super, super appreciative.